Yes, that's right. Pentecost. Nailed it. All right. Acts chapter 2. This crazy thing called Pentecost takes place. And this is where people from all over the Roman Empire, they're in Jerusalem at this time, and they hear about what this Jesus guy has done. And so in this moment, there's some visiting Jews from Rome, and what happens? Well, they they heard the gospel in their native tongue. They became followers of Jesus during Pentecost, and so as they returned home, they brought the news of Jesus back to their home. What you have in Rome, then, is a Christian movement. We go a little bit further in the history. We go to Acts chapter 18. And the the church has been thriving, but then this crazy thing called persecution happens. And the emperor of Rome at the time, in 49 AD, expels all of the Christians, or all of the Jews, sorry. And I think, what do you think? What do you think would happen in this moment? If all the Jews, they're the ones who founded the church... It was, it was all about what they had brought. Like in the background, we're like, well, the church is going to die, right? Wrong! <laughs> the church doesn't die. It just shifts. Right? The Jews are expelled, but what they leave behind is a network, a series of house churches in Rome, where now the Gentile followers are the ones pursuing and leading the Jesus movement. Fast forward. A few years later, what happens? The Jews are allowed to return to Rome. And when they're allowed to return to Rome, what they find is a very different church. This isn't the church that was here when we were expelled. Right? Their, their influence had waned. Church isn't on a Saturday anymore, it's on a Sunday. Right? All these different things had taken place. And what they see is that there is interconnected and mutually aligned churches now. There's a family here in Rome. But this isn't as easy or as clear-cut as it may seem. Because with this, with their returning, and with the Gentile church, now you have two factions of people coming together. Oh no. We always get along with each other, right? Man... Just like, guys, I like interaction, so just like a teeny bit would be like, just give me something, all right? All right? We don't always get along with each other. I mean, I get along with everybody because my mentality and my personality are so great. <laughs> Can you just ask my family, right? No, there's this discomfort and this tension. There's different perspectives, and there's this push now. Disunity is beginning to bubble up because, newsflash, there's no perfect church. This is what so many of Paul's letters are about. And so what we see in Rome, or in the book of Romans, sorry, is Paul addressing this very thing. And he's speaking to what's going on. And in the back of this, we have this major theme that he is trying to convey to both sides. And that is this, that God's proven love for us is in Jesus Christ. Period. So, today, you can turn to your Bible. I don't care if you read while I talk, because God's Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It doesn't bother me. So we're going to be in chapter 12, and there's three major themes. I'm definitely turning into a pastor where I always have like three things now. Right? The first thing, in verses 1 and 2, we see the transformative power of the gospel. The second aspect, in verses 3 through 8, 
we see the living proof of the gospel in our humility and mutuality. Bigger words there. And lastly, in verses 9 through 21, we see the genuine practice of the gospel and how the genuine practice of the gospel is genuine love. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray. God, we're going to go through as much of chapter 12 as we can. And I ask that my words would not be my own. God, that they would be what you desire people to hear today. I ask that where I misspeak or make mistakes, God, that your word would intercede and you would just connect with each individual here. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would stir in our hearts today. Make God's word, make the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, come alive for us today. We love you and praise you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Something I realized is how bit much of a hand talker I am. I didn't realize it until I was sitting up here, and a lot of it's covered by this, but it just comes up, right? So we've read Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the first thing we're going to deal with today and begin to understand is the transformative power of the gospel. You see, these two verses give us more to ponder than we're probably ready for today. Right? And definitely than what we have time for today. I could spend all of today just sitting here, but I know that that wouldn't make the child care workers happy upstairs, so I'm not going to do that. You see, Paul has spent the first 11 chapters describing the human condition. He's been describing our brokenness, our need for redemption. How we all fall short, but how there is one in Jesus Christ who meets us where we are. He meets us, and he transforms us. But to really grasp Romans 12, 1 and 2, we need to look at this first statement. In my version, the NLT, it says, and so. A lot of you probably use something called the ESV or the NIV or any of those versions, and it probably has a word, therefore, there. Now, cool college trick, and maybe they learn it at younger ages these days, but I didn't, is whenever you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. I know, I know. You're welcome. You're all educated now. All right? And so real quick, I'm going to take this at light speed or, or warp speed, depending on which space world you most appreciate. And I'm going to drive you through, or fly you, I guess would be the better term, right, Flew through the book of Romans so we can get to this point and understand the depth of this very statement, therefore. So let's look back. What do we know that the book of Romans is famous for? 
the Romans road. Good job. I'll, I'll point at you if I want answers. I'll, but I'll point with open hands so you don't feel like I'm accusing you. I think that's important. Just everybody, we look back at what takes place in the book of Romans. And what do we know? Romans 3.23. Who sinned? All. Yes! Who did that? Who did that? I, I heard it over here. It was Hannah? Hey! <laughs> Makes me excited. Right? All have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Right? That's, that's where we start. That's the problem. We are all sinners. Romans 5.8. But God. One of my favorite two words. But God. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Okay, first of all, we're all sinners, but God, while we were sinners, sent his son for us. Did we deserve this? No. We didn't. I didn't. I know I did it. I know who I am. But I also know what Scripture says. It tells me, right, because of my sin, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Then I know this. I know from Romans 10, 14, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be. Not could be. Will be. And he tells us how. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. How incredible. You see, as we understand all that has happened, all that Paul has unpacked in these first 11 chapters, it throttles us and pushes us to this movement here in Romans chapter 12 where it says, and so. And it should shake us. Wow. God, thank you. Man, I do not deserve your hope your freedom, your life. But thank you. You see, a transformed life is a life reliant not on ourselves, but on the forgiveness, on the cross, on the redemption of Jesus Christ. And so as you read that statement and you hear Paul say, therefore, you can understand when he goes in, I plead with you, it's as though it's like his whole heart is coming on and you can see how personal it is, right? Brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Be free. Dover, I plead with you. See the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See it and believe it. Be transformed by it. That means it makes you new. In our house, I Okay, just side story, because I have ADD. I, I love monarch, no, false statement. I hate monarch butterflies. 
because my wife is addicted to saving the monarch population. And so we have like a nursery jar, this isn't a joke, and we have this other big thing where they can all metamorphosize. But it's incredible to see them go from like this baby egg, this thing, you're like, what? To hang it upside down in a J, and then the goo comes out and they pop open a butterfly. They're transformed. This is what he's saying. I plead with you, see what God has done. Be transformed. Trust the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as he pleads with them, he says this. He says, let your lives be a living sacrifice. Huh? Anyone else get like a question bubble that pops up in their head for a second? Because if you're like me, it's sort of an oxymoronic statement, right? In the, in the Old Testament, if we think about sacrifice, sacrifices, were they, they're not, they were, there were some like the grain offering and different things, but they weren't the sacrifice. Sacrifice is not supposed to be a living thing, is it? And so when we think about this, it's, it's like changing our mindset a little bit. And it's saying, hey guys, understand what God has done for you. And because of what he has done for you, your way of living is going to be so radical, others will look to you in awe. It will be as though your life is actively sacrificing for the needs of others. A living sacrifice is a unique call. Because it's not a life that is self-seeking or proud. It's not a life that is boastful or arrogant. It's not desiring the rights and privileges, your rights and privileges above others. It's a life that's transformed by what God has done, and it lives contrary to what our world desires or inclines us to. That is a living sacrifice. And then he says, when you live this way, this is worship. When you live transformed, this is worship. And so, here's my big takeaway. The way you live, it matters. The way we live matters. It matters how we live, how we act and behave at work. At work because that declares the transforming work of the gospel. It matters how we live in high school and middle school. Because it declares the freedom of Jesus Christ, the transforming work of the gospel. It matters when we're babysitting or when we're stacking groceries or buying groceries because even if we don't think others see that moment, God sees it. And it's about the way we live, live transformed so that every action, every thought, everything we do declares the transforming work of Jesus Christ. You see, an an ideal faith, right, it's not about us. It's a life that's transformed by Jesus Christ, so much so that we can't contain it. We can't help but proclaim it. We can't help but be satisfied by it because it's not about you and I. When we were utterly helpless, Christ died for us. And so Paul says, remember this. Therefore, because of what a God has done, live transformed by the gospel. Then he says this. 
in verses 3 through 8. The big theme here, let the living proof of the gospel in our lives be humility and mutuality. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Uh Uh-oh. Humility? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. It's about what He has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, as living proof of the gospel in our humility and mutuality, we understand that everybody plays. Every one of us. Our lives are to reflect the gospel and be actively engaged. And out of this, we we will lean forward and live lives that are demonstrating humility and mutuality. And before you say this isn't possible, i got a picture for you. Yes. Oh, it's a little blurry because apparently I don't know anything. But that's... Can you tell what this is? Can't... You guys got it, all right? Candy. I'm a chip guy myself, so I am probably the only person that this analogy doesn't work for, or maybe there's a few of you. But what you see behind me is about a job posting in Canada. All right? You ready for this? Candy Funhouse, and this is on LinkedIn, so you can actually look this up. Candy Funhouse is looking for a chief candy officer. Who's in? All right? You report to the CEO, Hours are full or part-time. Pay rate, 100 grand. Not making it up. All right, who's in now? Yeah, there's a few more people that are in. All right, okay. Do you love all things candy and chocolate? Are you passionate about confectionery treats and exploring unreleased and existing products? Anyone? There we go. If so, this is the perfect position for you. Being the chief candy officer at Candy Funhouse is much more than fun and games. It's serious candy business. The chief candy officer will be responsible for deciding which new candy products Candy Funhouse will be carrying, leading candy board meetings, wonder what those look like, and being the head taste tester and taking charge of all things fun. Best of all, this position isn't bound by age. I'm speaking to this crew now. Right? It's not bound by age. The position is open to anyone ages 5 
and up. All right? All you need is a passion for candy, pop culture, and a sweet tooth. The, candy, the candidate will be put through an extensive palate training and much more. The chief candy officer should put fun at the forefront of their daily routine. All right? Who, any, does anybody want this job at this point? Most of us, I hope. I mean, I don't even like candy. I'm like, okay, 100, 100K, I'll, I'll eat the candy. All right? Requirements, enthusiasm, creative mind, natural born leader, golden taste buds, excellent communication skills, no food allergies, and most importantly, knows how to have fun. FYI, the deadline for submitting your application, it's August 31st. So you still got time to get in, all right? Go home and get your application in. In case you're wondering, it does say it comes with an extensive dental plan. All right. Who wouldn't love this job, right? The dental plan is included. It is the perfect gig. I can work remotely, part-time, full-time. I'm eating candy. I get my stamp of approval, right? With the same enthusiasm that we respond to this posting, we can respond to the call from God to use our gifts in his body. As the body of Christ, we are to be the living proof of the gospel. And so it's going to require us to be actively engaged, not bystanders. But it's also going to require some humility. It says this, it says just as much. It means that we're going to have to think less of ourselves than we really want to. That we are not the do-it-all people. And this is pot kettle black moment. So when you hear this, understand, like, this is some, I'm like, okay, God, I, I get what you're saying to me right now. We have to lower the view of ourselves and understand that it's others' interests and importance that we need to place above ourselves. And we often will say, well, I can't do X. Fill in the blank. What can't you do? Right? Well, I'm going to encourage you through a video clip to reconsider that. Help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. What 
we do? Baby steps. Right? We look at what Paul is saying, right? As he implores them, he walks through to the church in Rome, because this is something that was read as a letter to everybody. Use your gifts. Be actively involved. Paul, Bob tells us, if you're under 30 and you don't know this movie, FYI, it's called What About Bob? Please go and watch it. It's amazing. But Bob tells us, what, what do baby steps do? They work. Right? They work, but more important is something that God calls us to. And it, it's, it's helpful to know that regardless of who we are, we can each take the baby step. There's no role too big or too small. You see, that's part of the issue. We like to elevate things. I can't be that guy. I'm not, I'm not the guy on the stage. Good. You shouldn't be. Not everyone should. It's important for us to understand where you are is valuable. It is just as important as this role right here. Take the baby steps. No matter where you are, no matter how big or how small you think it is, because these moments matter. So just picking up on the, uh, the announcements today, there's some baby steps we can probably take. Mops need some help. And that's also a ministry started by two women from two of our church locations, right? The family coming together and simply answering a call. Hey, Tim, God's put this on our heart. Amen. We need to get behind that. I can mentor some women. I can't, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. Each of us have a role to play. If you're an older woman, consider mentoring. I heard something about DIG. You guys do it through eighth grade, so that I know they need help, right? You can answer that call. Like, don't make it complicated. Maybe it's just watching the kids in the nursery. Or maybe you have a gift to teach and you haven't been using it. Let's use it. Let's embrace what God is doing and let's answer the call. Because when we do these things, the goal here isn't the elevation of self. It's not, that's not the reason we take baby steps. The reason we take baby steps, that we answer these calls, that we are transformed by the gospel, that we humil in humility and in mutuality consider others as we take these steps, is because the it is the declaration and the saving grace of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection on the cross, the salvation that he offers for all humi humanity. And it is because of this freedom that we can take baby steps. And this is, I mean, maybe this will be the last time I'm ever asked back. So I'll just, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm also stealing this big idea, right? What is it going to mean for us? It means we need to get over ourselves. See, verse 3. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Maybe it's just me. I can get behind verses 1 and 2, and I can, I can talk about the gifting stuff, right? And, and how we're all supposed to be there. And then we have this like middle verse, verse 3, where like, makes me really uncomfortable. I don't like being called out. 
For me, it stops me dead in my tracks. Right? And what I see here is Paul telling them, get over yourself. Your stumbling blocks that you've created, get over yourself. And when we do this, when we get over ourselves, we allow our lives to be the living proof of the gospel. And it is exemplified through how we live in humility and mutuality with one another. When we get over ourselves, Christ becomes preeminent in everything. If you weren't wondering, he already is. Colossians 1 tells us as much. But he becomes preeminent in everything, including our choices. And that's where this really becomes the living proof of the gospel, because our minds are changed. We aren't worried as much about how people perceive us. We begin to evaluate things through a different lens. What happens when the gospel takes precedence is our schedules stop taking precedence. Suddenly we can sacrifice some of our work time or our sports and our commuting or our personal leisure or purchasing the next big thing. And we can slowly turn to being active participants in what God is doing in our community here and now. I'm going to skip ahead, so we're not going to use the next slide. As we come to an end, I'm not going to be able, I have way too much to go through, and maybe I'll get invited back in some future date to finish the rest of Romans. But see, Romans 12 is a challenge for us to be authentic, to live transformed. When we understand the transformative power of the gospel, we realize that the gospel is not reliant on us. It's about what God has done on our behalf, and we have freedom to simply take steps of faith. As we understand that the living proof of the gospel in our humility and mutuality, we realize it's because of the favor we don't deserve that God has given us. That we can get over ourselves and be present with others where God has placed us here and now. I would encourage you to keep reading Romans. Don't just take my word for it. Go back, read Romans 12, read what I talked about today, but then go read the rest of it, verses 9 through 21, and see how the genuine practice, the application, right, the practice of the gospel equals genuine love. It's about deliberate and devoted actions of believers, a personal decision to be like Christ and a selfless action to love on behalf of Christ. As we walk away today, may we be transformed. May we consider what step we need to take to take hold of that in our lives, to live transformed, to take baby steps, and to get over ourselves. Let's pray. Jesus, we just